Hi, everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. We have just been having the best guests on this show lately for Coach's Corner. I have another great one for you today, Mark Devine, who's one of my favorite people in the world. I'm lucky to know him personally. I've spoken at his big event, and he is just a man that I have deep, deep respect for, someone who truly walks the talk. I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a moment, but first, I want to share something with you all that I am so excited about. Those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time, even those of you who are new to listening, maybe you've gone on a binge, a lot of what I do on the show is inner child work. So many of the callers, they call in, they have an issue about something that's going on today, but we usually end up talking about their past, their parents, what happened to them as a child, what happened to them socially, physically, all those kinds of things. Most issues, I would dare to say all issues, we are having in the present moment have roots to our past, specifically our childhood. We're pretty much formed before the age of seven, definitely before the age of 12, most definitely before the age of 25. That's when the brain stops forming. By the age of seven, we're programmed. We have basically been sponges up until the age of seven. And everything we've experienced, everything we've heard, everything that we've seen, everything that we've even felt is lodged in our unconscious mind and becomes our programming for how we see, experience, and react to the world. And by the age of 12, we have a pretty strong identity of who we are, what we need to do to get love, to be safe, how we fit into the world, our self-perception, so on and so forth. So the importance of healing our inner child is so important. And you hear it over and over again on the show. But you also hear people say, but how? How do I do it? And I do the best I can in the 20 minutes I have with people, but I just lately have felt like that's not enough. Plus, during this time of this pandemic, when we're in massive uncertainty, everybody's inner child is triggered because whenever there's uncertainty, the inner child freaks out. So I've decided that Alongside my husband, we are going to be teaching a virtual three-day inner child workshop. It's June 5th through 7th. It's all virtual. So it'll be starting Friday, late afternoon, early evening, you know, if you're in the central time zone. If you're in Europe or if you're in Australia, don't worry. You can still participate. You can catch up with the recordings depending on your time zone and join us live when you can. You will still get massive benefit if you listen to the recordings and aren't there live the whole time. If you can be there live the whole time, that's really cool too, because you can ask us direct questions. We'll have partner breakouts, exercises you can do. This is going to be such a powerful workshop. We're going to be teaching you how to actually connect with your inner child. I know a lot of you get it conceptually, but you might have trouble accessing it. It doesn't matter if you don't have memories of your childhood. You don't need specific memories to heal your inner child. And if you had a really awful childhood, it doesn't mean you have to go back and relive it to heal it. We're going to be teaching you how to connect, teaching you how to heal, teaching you how to reparent that inner child. There'll be meditation. There'll be breath work. There'll be coaching. There'll be experiential processes. It's going to be amazing. And it's virtual, which means anyone can join from around the world. There's an early bird discount of $100 if you register before May 25th. So you want to get on this soon. It's christinehassler.com slash inner child. There's a video from Steph and I there. We go into great detail on the page about what we'll be covering. So go have a look again, christinehassler.com slash inner child. The investment you make in this workshop will save you so much on personal development therapy later. Investing in healing your inner child will make everything in your life easier. 
Can you tell I'm passionate about this? <laughs> so again, christinehatscher.com slash inner child. Now let's talk about Mark Devine, my guest today. He is an influential thought leader, lifelong martial artist, dedicated yoga and meditation practitioner, retired Navy SEAL commander, successful serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, selfless mentor, and teacher. We discuss how to be courageous during this challenging time, and Mark really knows this, as a, especially as a former Navy SEAL. So he started his career actually as a CPA, but then at 25, traded in his suit and began his journey into the most elite U.S. Special Forces unit. Over the course of 20 years of service as a SEAL officer, Mark continued experimenting to create a unique training methodology, incorporating innovative mental, emotional, physical, and team training techniques to both elevate his own as well as his team's performance. With a desire to help others recognize their own potential, Mark left the Navy and jumped back into the business world as an entrepreneur. He created an integrative functional fitness company, Seal Fit, followed by the comprehensive embodiment leadership corporate training company, Unbeatable Mind. He's also the host of the Unbeatable Mind podcast and author of numerous best-selling books, including the New York Times bestseller, Eight Weeks to Seal Fit, Unbeatable Mind, The Way of the Navy Seal, and Kokora Yoga. His latest bestseller is called Staring Down the Wolf, which highlights the seven commitments essential to building elite teams. Mark is a living example of an authentic leader, I can vouch for that, influencer and teammate committed to the journey of self-awareness and integration of the heart, mind, and life lessons to empower others to thrive. And speaking of thriving, I want to talk to you about better help. So many times I often recommend that people reach out to a counselor or a therapist to get through some of the issues that they're dealing with. And that's why I love BetterHelp. So let me tell you a little bit about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online platform that matches you with a licensed therapist. You can start communicating with your therapist in over 24 hours and BetterHelp will assess your needs and help match you with the right therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available. And plus, hey, we're all mostly staying at home. So how great to have counseling online. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. It's available worldwide. You'll get timely responses. Plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you don't even have to leave your home. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You can go to their website and read some testimonials. Check it out at betterhelp.com slash onwithit. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash onwithit. And you get 10% off your first month for being my listener. Again, betterhelp.com slash onwithit. And now on to my interview with the amazing Mark Devine. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Christine, I couldn't be more thrilled. It's great to talk to you again. You are someone that both my husband and I really, really deeply respect for the, the man you are, the leader you are, the teacher you are, the path that you've walked. And this is your second time on the show, and I'm so happy to have you back to talk about a lot of things. But one of the things we're going to talk about is your latest book. Right. Staring Down the Wolf. Hmm. Down I feel the like we're all doing here, that right now. Right, which is something <laughs> we're all doing right now. And uh, we need to learn how to do skillfully. Mm. And I love how you are helping people do that. And I think you're such a great teacher. 
that emotional realm. And right now, it's, all I see is emotional shadow just yeah. springing forth across the land, yeah. <laughs> spreading like a virus, like we were talking about earlier yeah. before the show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about what staring down the wolf means because you've been, you know, in your life, probably in some pretty scary situations where you've come face to face with fear and fear is an interesting thing because I think that there's true physiological fear. Like if I was, you know, if someone broke into my house or I was running from tigers or something like that, or I have to go into a situation that's, that's scary and requires courage, which is moving forward in the face of fear. And then there's mental fear. Right. That's more um, a psychological fear. We think a thought or we think about worst case scenario, or most often we're in a time of uncertainty and the mind creates the feeling of fear versus actually an external stimulus creating it. Right. So I would just love for you to talk a little bit about the, what what the title of your book means and how you've encountered that in your own life. Sure. That's a great place to start. And we'll probably end there as well because there's so much to talk about. Right? The, um, the title, of course, comes from that Native American saying that there's a f um, two wolves that reside inside us. The wolf of fear resides in your head or your brain. The wolf of courage resides in your heart. Mm -hmm. And the wolf of fear feeds on uh, negativity. And um, it lets you be prone to reactive negative conditioning and biased behavior and also just real abject uh, terror and fear and the things that you talked about that are real, the real types of fear. And the wolf of courage who resides in your heart really feeds on love and connection and um, empathy, compassion, and those things that need to be really cultivated because they're um, not necessarily that they don't exist in human beings, but they kind of get overridden and glossed over by the wolf of fear, by the negativity, mm -hmm. because the, the brain's natural negativity bias, which I'm sure you've talked about yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. And all the negative conditioning that we have from our cultures of origin, which is family and local cultures and also national cultures, as well as, uh, you know, what happens to us in life and how we um, label that and, and create a story around that. And that becomes the second type of fear you were talking about, that subconscious storyline that shows up as emotional shadow. And so, you know, the, that stuff masks the true innate goodness in, that comes from the heart where the courage wolf resides. Now, the native story says that, you know, if you do nothing, the fear wolf wins mm -hmm. and the fear wolf will eat all the food and courage wolf will starve. Mm -hmm. But if you recognize this and begin to feed the courage wolf by connecting your heart, by doing compassionate things, by taking your eyes off yourself and putting them on your family and your team, then you begin to starve the fear wolf. And over time, and it's the wolf that you feed that will dominate your attitude and your behavior. I love that. Right? It's such mm -hmm. a, it was such a simple way. When I started training Navy SEAL candidates in 2007, and, uh, you know, I use this as part of the big four skills. You know, the second skill, the big four skills for developing mental toughness and resiliency for this group of people heading into the hard training in the world is um, positive, a positive mindset. Mm-hmm. And that goes beyond just positive psychology. It's, it's emotionally positive, you know, tuning. It's overcoming your um, negative reactionary conditioning. It's feeding the courage wolf. Mm. So it's, it's actually quite um, like intense, the training for it, as opposed to like happy, glad, just say a positive 
mm-hmm. mantra. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At any rate, so um, I've been experimenting and playing with different uh, ways to develop courage and feed courage with my clientele over the years. And they, they have included special operators and entrepreneurs and executives. And there's this certain type of very subtle fear that keeps tripping people up. And it is like the deepest of the shadow that comes from early childhood. And that is what I'm really getting at here in the book, Staring Down the Wolf. The the subtitle is Seven Leadership Commitments That Forge Elite Teams. So there's actually a lot going on in this book. Mm -hmm. I can tell you the story about how it came to be. Yeah. Three years to write the book. Originally, that was going to be the title, Seven Leadership Commitments That Forge Elite Teams. You know, it's a long title. Like, <laughs> yeah, seven habits of highly effective people. This is my mm-hmm. seven commitment. Mm-hmm. And that came because, you know, I was working on a self-published book and then I had my publisher come and say, hey, we want you to write a Navy SEAL leadership themed book. And I was like, Ugh, do I really have to? <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, okay, why not? I think I could do something fun and different. And so I came up with those seven leadership commitments after a long meditation. I said, these are actually what make elite teams really powerful. And I wanted to do a book on teams. And so they said, that sounds great. So we'll do a book on teams. And how do you, you know, uh, create a, a, a team that can elite operate at an elite level. And so these seven commitments that I came up with, which are nothing like a extraordinary new to anyone listening, but when you look at them as daily practices or a commitment to cultivate that quality, and you see how these commitments connect to each other and how they support each other to unlock potential, then you can see how a team that is really committed to working and, and living these principles, how powerful they can be. Mm-hmm. And the first commitment is courage, mm-hmm. just like feeding that courage wolf, committing to courageously showing up and risking and having those crucial conversations and courageously leaning into the, the emotional work that soft underbelly that people avoid in their work environment because they just don't know how to do it or they think they're going to hurt someone's feelings or they're going right. to display weakness. And then if you courageously lean into those areas that you have weaknesses and you need help on, that develops great trust, which is a second commitment. And, and to have trust, you got to be trustworthy and jumble and, and get, you know, get away from perfectionism and absolutism and just enter the team with this attitude that you're not perfect, you don't have all the answers. And together, we come up with better solutions and we help each other. Great trust ensues from that. And I experienced that in some of my most elite teams in the SEALs. But I kept finding it really difficult to create in the civilian world. Yeah, well, I feel like we're in that now, Mark, is there's sort of like a, there's this split between every man for themselves and how much toilet paper can I buy? Um, And this interview is coming out, you know, a little later than we're recording it. So who knows where we'll be then, hopefully in a more together place. And so we are, I think a lot of in, in feeding the wolf of fear, you aren't thinking collaboratively. You're thinking more survival-based. Right. And it's, so, it's, yeah. I call it a stun gun for survival mm. mindset, right? Mm-hmm. So this type of abject fear of um, fear of your way of life just disappearing, every all the structures that you used to rely on, you know, temporarily halted at least, and jobs that either gone or at serious risk, and future businesses, you know, yeah. potentially wiped out. That. Yeah is a stun gun that just immediately takes the, the highest minded individual and slaps them right back into survival mode. And that's when all this shadow comes out. Yeah. So yeah. we got to pause, breathe into that 
and get out of that survival mindset and back into our more adult, you know, what we call in our training, fifth plateau mindset, where we can take perspectives and be, you know, be less reactive and, and less, you know, of a wrecking ball with how we, you know, how we manage ourselves. So yeah, yeah. This, at this time frame, this is particularly important, but as you know, even in great times, these are the sure. things that trip up teams, right? These, sure. And, and we're just talking about two of the commitments, you know, the, just quickly, the other commitments that are, go on top of that, we can come cycle back and talk to them are yeah. respect, growth, excellence, resiliency, and alignment. And all these work together, like I said, in kind of a holographic manner. But what stands in the way is the individual leader, and everybody's a leader, right? Because you're leading yourself, you're leading your team. Even if you're not the appointed leader, you're a leader. What stands in your way is you, your biases, your subconscious programming, and your shadow-based fears that most of the worst ones stem from early childhood because yep. they're so glossed over and so hidden because they've yep. been projected or repressed or you know had some sort of happy glad band-aid put on it. But it leaks out all over the place and other people experience it even if you don't. Yep. So that's what I'm talking about. So the book is about emotional development for leaders who want to bring out the best in their teams. (laughs) Yeah. And, And I just want to give context to who everybody's listening to right now, if they don't already know you. Mark isn't, you know, some guy who just led teams in corporate America. No disrespect to people that lead teams in corporate America. It's you know, tough work. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's tough, definitely tough work. But you've been in some pretty hairy situations. Will you explain to people exactly what a Navy SEAL is and what you're responsible for and the kind of missions that you had to encounter and had to lead teams through, just so people really understand that oh, sure. this applies I mean, in extreme situations as well? I do. I, one of my biases, I assume that everyone knows that, which is hilarious. <laughs> there are actually a lot of people who don't know what mm-hmm. this is, or they just think what they see on TV is is it. It's not. But SEALs, they stand for, uh, the acronym is Sea Airland. So we are the America's um, elite or tier one or, you know, highly specialized um, special operations force. We don't like to stray far from the water, but the 18 years, 19 years of war in Afghanistan and Iraq had us far from the water in those environments. So we're, we're equally adept at operating on that A and that, or the L, the land part. The Primary missions of the SEALs are direct action. Mm-hmm. Laden, the SEALs got Bin Laden and hundreds of others of bad guys. You know, disrupting supply chains. Um, again, in the war on terror, that meant disrupting the money people and the ammunition people and the bomb makers and, you know, trying to really shake apart the infrastructure that was wreaking havoc in mm-hmm. Iraq and Afghanistan and then Syria and other places. Um, also, a really important mission is to counter the um, pro- proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. Do you think about that? We have, and, and you and I could go off on this, but we, this is the mass insanity of the human race, of the negative, the fear wolf of the human race at a collective level has allowed us to think that it's okay to point nuclear weapons at each other. You know, these yeah. weapons that could annihilate humanity. I mean, like, hopefully there's a point in history in the human's uh, future where we can look back and say, what the F over yeah. <laughs> what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah. Right. But so the Navy SEALs are out there watching this stuff. And, you know, you'd be surprised that not all these weapons are always where they're supposed to be. You know, fissile material gets out and it's 
you know, there's a lot of instances where the SEALs have been able to interrupt what could have been a potentially disastrous situation because the stuff was being sold or transferred to the wrong hands. And obviously that's an ongoing threat. Mm-hmm. And then a more mundane level, although not any less risky, is just real kind of sneaky peek in intelligence gathering, uh, often underwater, submarines involved. You know, that is the real kind of James Bond stuff. We do a lot of that. Okay. Yeah. And, and what I think makes people so intrigued with the SEALs is the training and the mindset of the type of individuals. It's, you have to be a little unique to even want to be a SEAL, number one. You have to be extraordinarily fit just to apply. And then you have to have this mindset that, you know, nothing is going to ever get in your way. There's no obstacle that's too big to tackle. Failure is expected. Mm. And the daily preparation to overcome the failure and the challenges is extremely ongoing and welcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? SEALs get excited about that kind of let's embrace the suck and go really get busy doing the hard stuff and risking, you know, another line in the sand uh, to see where things will break and fall apart. Because we knew that the more that we sweat in peace, the less we would bleed in more time. Mm. So that has cultivated a really unique capability, both at the individual and team level that, you know, when I went, um, got out of the seals, I, I thought immediately I can deploy some of these skills in the business world. And at some level, they really work, right? And I teach people those skills. And I wrote a book called The Way of the Seal, which talks a lot about that, the mindset and the emotional control and the um, win in your mind attitude and using skills like breath control and positive attitude um, development, which we've already talked about, feeding the courage wolf, visualization, and getting radically focused through a ratcheting effect on your goals and how you set goals and what goals you take on and decluttering your mind and, and laser focusing so you're not distracted all the time like a bouncing ball. So we have elements of kind of mindfulness training, focusing, concentration, really powerful. Mm-hmm. However, however, comma, I will say this, and this is bringing back to the book. I really sucked at leading civilian teams when I got out of the SEALs. And it's because of this issue of I still, no matter how tough you are, no matter how badass you think you are, and no matter how hard the training you went through as a military operator or you know, corporate warrior, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the emotional issues that cause things like perfectionism or mm-hmm. um, absolutism or righteousness, or, you know, you name your issue that come up, right. And it's just so deeply programmed that it takes often years to get at the root of it. Yeah. And, um, and that's where the real work is to be done. You know, I, I could tell you this, I could train a Navy SEAL emotional control a lot easier so that they can go into a firefight and remain completely calm and in charge. I can train that a lot easier than I can train a corporate leader on how to steer mm-hmm. of fear it's stemming from, you know, the first seven to 14 years of their life. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true. And, you know, during this time of mass uncertainty, that's one of the things I've been really trying to help people understand is that their inner child is getting massively triggered right now. So whatever happened in your childhood, when you felt unsafe, that's what's being triggered. Right. So, and whatever happened after that. So for example, if, you know, all of a sudden, like 
you were teased at school and you felt unsafe and then you had no friends and you felt very alone, you're going to start feeling all that aloneness and the world's coming to an end. If you know your parents got divorced and your life changed and you didn't know where you stood, you're going to feel all this fear around security and money and safety and all that. Like it's so, it's just, it's bringing up the shadow stuff mm-hmm. and it's a massive, um, you know, and and I'm sure you've seen this so much and, you know, people that come to your trainings too, most people, you know, until I think until we reach a point in our growth where we kind of get, oh, I'm always going to be growing. So I might as well incentivize my own learning and growing rather than wait for a massive two by four, what I call an expectation hangover to hit me. And we we've seen that people, you know, our biggest wakeups come from difficulty and that's the the opportunity we have here. And one of my friends, her name is Brandy Gilmore. She was talking and, you know, a lot of people are saying this time is a gift, this time is a gift. And she's like, we are not the gift yet. Like we need to change <laughs> first, <laughs> right. you know? And so I really, it's an opportunity. The an gift opportunity. Comes the other end, right? Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, we're in the cocoon. We're not the butterfly yet. Like well, I'd be interested in how that's showing up for you. I'll, I'll, I'll share how it shows up yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. And one, one reason I want to do this, I'm very vulnerable, not vulnerable. Seals don't use that term. I'm very authentic in this book, <laughs> right? About my own failures or weaknesses. And, and that was new for me. So it was like, it was a hard book for me to write. And to put out there, and I'm actually nervous for my mom to read this book. You know, I think really she's not going to be happy that her p- <laughs> wasn't quite reality. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, God bless her. She'll get over it. Um, she's a strong woman. But so for me, I grew up in a really uh, chaotic and even violent house. I love my dad; he's a great guy, and we totally reconciled. But you know, he was going through a period of his life where alcohol was abuse. He was abusive. You know, we there's just a lot of violence and a lot of anger and rage and screaming going on. So, on the one hand, I've come to recognize that one of the reasons that SEAL training was easy for me, and I had this attitude: there's there's not a damn thing that they can do to hurt me, mm. was that right? And so, there's always a gift. I, you know, I will use that word. There is a gift in how we're brought up. And so, anyone who thinks, "Oh yeah, that was me," and I was, I'm, and that's why I'm screwed up. No, 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 no. That is what you needed, I think, as a human being to give you the life you have now. And there's a great gift in growing up in a chaotic environment because it brings incredible resiliency. And you can go through the hardest things and not feel a darn thing because you've already shut all those things down. Right, right, right. And many, many warriors, many warriors have that going on. And they don't recognize that there is a consequence to that. Right. Mm-hmm. So what's come up for me in the last couple of weeks is sadness, mm-hmm. which came out of the blue. And I'm like, whoa, because I shut that down as a kid. But there was a lot of sadness around that um, lack of connection and the, um, the issues that were going on in the household that I yeah. must have experienced as a child. So now it's coming out. Sadness yeah. for lost opportunity, for lost connection. Isn't that interesting? So, so I thought I'd share that. I'm curious is what's come up. For you. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, there are so many things in what you shared. First of all, how our, our pain can often motivate our passion initially right. for so long. And, and it, we, you know, I call them compensatory strategies and the things that we're good at aren't necessarily good for us because they're way we're, we're right. covering up pain. Consequences yeah. That was like me being an overachiever for right. me, a, a couple things been coming up. So one, this 
like fear and panic of feeling everybody else's things and, and thinking I need to, I need to fix it. Right. So that was a big childhood pattern of mine. And then also when I let myself feel into it, deep sadness, like deep sadness and empathy for, Mm -hmm. you know, the people suffering and not even empathy, empathy, going into sympathy too. Mm -hmm. And because I think that's one of my childhood woundings too, is I experienced myself as a victim. I think a lot in terms of things that happened to me and that was sort of reinforced. So I learned sympathy more than I learned empathy and that, that happened too. And then also anger, like a lot of anger and not necessarily directed at any one thing, but, and it's important. I give myself permission to feel that because as a kid and young adult, I suppressed a lot of my anger. And that manifested in physical things. So I'm just, you know, really giving myself permission to feel what I'm feeling because I know how to, I know how to feel what I'm feeling in a therapeutic way. I know how to release it. And then I can shift into the energy of, you know, presence and gratitude and acceptance. And I think a lot of people are running into some roadblocks because they're not being authentic and vulnerable with the deeper things that are being triggered. They, they may put their hand up to, yeah, I'm freaked out but they're not going deeper to what's being activated. And then they just try to go into, like you said, thinking positively and saying a few positive affirmations or trying to do a meditation when inside they're freaked out and it's just not working. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think a lot of people are thrown off their quote unquote practice, you know, so yeah. because it's hard, you know, the ultimate distraction is fear, right? Mm-hmm. That, and when you're feeling that at a very um, embodied level, you know, Sitting down and meditating just seems impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to distract yourself with totally. more news, which more news, which then you know clicks in your confirmation bias that yeah, the world is actually falling apart. Yeah, I know. So I know. Actually, this is the time when we actually must you know double down on the practice, but maybe simplify it. Right? Like yeah. to me, the best practice to do right now in these times is just breathe. Right? Just sit and breathe. Mm-hmm. Don't try to do any fancy mindfulness or. Just breathe and allow what comes up to come up, which mm-hmm. incidentally is mindfulness. But if, you know, or if you try to download and listen to a, a guided meditation, eh, you know, yeah. that's okay. But why not just breathe and just be okay with what is coming up right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Breathing will calm and get you back into balance and, and you know, begin to declutter your mind so you can make more rational observations. Yeah. Well, I remember on the last episode you were on, you took us through box breathing and maybe towards the end of the show, if you want to take us through any kind of breath or any kind of meditation, that would be, that would be amazing. I'm curious how you deal with, because I've seen this come up in my husband, how you deal with the, the, the warrior archetype in you. And what I mean is like, and both my husband and I, we've, we've, we've calmed and settled in. We in, both initially had our reaction mm-hmm. and I was like, so concerned about sanitizing everything. And he was so concerned about like, we need to get a gun. We need to like defend ourselves. <laughs> we need to like fight. This is going to be the end. The zombie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Zombie of cop apocalypse. And he's like, you got to start training. You got to carry a 50 pound pack. I'm like, this <laughs> is not <laughs> happening. So I'm curious, especially for the men listening and people that relate to that kind of fighter warrior archetype, 
how you, and maybe it doesn't come up for you, but if it, if it ever does that, that initial respond to fight it, to, you know, fight evil, to, you know, go into that warrior, um, does that ever come up for you? Or is that, have you meditated out of that? Uh, I think I've meditated out of that. Um, although I'm prepared to step into it if called upon, but my warrior archetype has me, um, just try to s- slow down and condense things so I can look at things rationally day to day. And so today I don't need to pull out my, my weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we got plenty of food. You know, th- things seems to be working. You know, the government just issued some stim or voted finally on some stimulus. So I think we'll get back to some semblance of normal, but it'll be a slightly different normal, you know? Soon. Yep. Soon. Yep. You know, with a, a few O's in soon, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not going to be next week. Yeah. But um, I'm always ready. And so watching. And so like next week, you know, if we were to talk, I might have a different story. I could either mm. be more, even more relaxed or I might be like, you know what? I'm breaking out the Bitcoin and the, and the guns now because things are not looking so good. So I, a warrior likes to plan, but then collapse his focus to get through today so that today can be the best opportunity to continue to train, to continue to see reality with as much truth and wisdom as possible and not get caught up in fear and anger and also um, promoting those things by, mm-hmm. by, you know, irrational behavior. Mm-hmm. So to me, and also um, a warrior archetype is expressed through different ways, you know, and also this relates to kind of more your age or your developmental stage. So the warrior kind of fighter, that was the 20-year-old mark. The warrior leader strategist, that was the 30 to 40-year-old mark. I'm much more into like the warrior monk phase and the warrior mm. teacher phase. So for me, I'm stepping up my teaching and, and offering tons of free teaching, lots of insights. And I'm sure you're doing the same mm-hmm. because other people just need to hear this stuff. And even the smallest things that I take for granted are, are valuable because I've forgotten more about overcoming fear and developing courage than I ever even remember. You know what I mean? And so yeah. <laughs> it's now a time for me to remember where I was uh, when I might've been in someone else's shoes and be like, Oh yeah, you know what? Mm-hmm. There's some really simple things we can do. So I started putting out daily videos. I call Mark's daily brief. We put on our website, markdevine.com and and post across our channels. And we're offering a webinar tomorrow, a free webinar, um, which would be discussing how to overcome fear and mm-hmm. deal with stress and adversity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're opening up our three online training programs for 30 days for free, our Seal Fit Online, our mm-hmm. Kokora Yoga, which is our integrated practice, and our Unbeal Mind. There's an enormous amount of training there. Mm-hmm. And we're really um, encouraging our certified coaches to go out and offer you know, free coaching. So there's so much that we're doing that is like to really lean into the teaching aspect of the warrior teacher and not worry about the economic impact. That'll right. take care of itself. Right. Right. Because right. it's right, it's the right thing to do. And right. warriors, you know, the attitude of the warriors, you do the right thing to do in spite of the consequences. Yeah. You know, you understand the consequences and the risks involved, but you do it anyways. You have a stand to to do what's right as you perceive it. And you articulate that stand and you live it every day. And in order to live it, you have to practice habituating the virtues or the values that become virtues. And so that's a big part of also how I can step into my warrior is to like up my game even further. 
Yeah. With my, exactly. tra- my physical training, my mental training, like we were talking about earlier, to really lean into the practice despite the distraction and the fear. So for people that are having a lot of like the fear wolf come up in terms of their thoughts about their job, their safety, their children, um, the future of the world, the future president, whatever the the fear wolf may be feeding, what are some tools that they can start using to, to feed the courage wolf more? Well, the big four skills are really so fundamental that we'll just go through those again. Um, first is breathing, controlling the breath, slowing the breath down, breathing through your nostrils, triggering your parasympathetic nervous system, and doing that daily as a daily practice. That provides just an unbelievable grounding effect, calming effect, and focusing effect, which allows your um, the rest of your brain, <laughs> your mind system to work mm-hmm. better. So that's kind of like number one. Now, that I would say even put before all the other advice you're hearing about, make sure you're eating well, you're getting a lot of sleep and drinking a lot of water and, um, you know, (laughs) washing your hands, obviously stuff like that. Cause it's your immune system, you know, that needs to be as strong right now as it's ever been in this life. Great. But if your body brain is way out of whack, then it's going to be really hard for you to sleep well, eat well. Right. And do all those other things. Well, so first, Bring yourself back into balance with breath control training. We, we practice box breathing, and I'd be thrilled at the end to run through yeah, a few slides. Yeah, that'd be great. So daily practice of box breathing. Now, also, we use that breathing practice or a modified version we call tactical breathing, which doesn't have the holds, before, during, and after any stressful situation. So if we look at life as stressful, well, it's a daily practice. So consider doing box breathing every morning and box breathing in the evening and box breathing at lunch. Wow, what a huge effect that'll have. But then if you've got a particularly stressful thing happening, maybe you got a new job interview or a presentation you've got to make and it's the first time you've done it on the subject or a crucial conversation that you need to have, then you box breathe before that. And then you do the tactical breathing, which is slow and controlled inhale and exhale during it to help you maintain kind of a mindful awareness of your own reactionary conditions starting to pop up so you don't torpedo yourself in midstream. And then you're going to do a, a brief uh, breathing practice. And this doesn't have to be more than a few breaths where you look back and you ask, what did I learn from that? How could I do better? And what were my successes? So you maintain that momentum and that positive attitude. And we continue to grow even in these times of crisis. You know, I didn't mention earlier, but you probably said this before, like the one thing that'll stunt your growth more than anything else is to click into survival mode yeah. and to be operating out of fear because it pretty much stunts all growth. So we want to maintain our growth mindset during these challenging times. So that's the first of the big four skills. And right there, we could talk for the whole rest of the conversation. I know. I know. Before you go into the second big skill, and this may sound like a silly question, but I think it's important to ask because I think sometimes people don't really know. How does someone know if they're operating out of survival mode and fear? Like what are some big signs well, the in sign, that mode? Big signs are you have this constant sense of like anxiety. You just can't shake it. That's one. We've already talked about this, but having reactions that you long felt you thought you dealt with, right? Like just dumping on people or, you know, having saying things to your wife or husband or kids that you're just like, why did I do that afterwards? You know, where did that come from? That means you're, you're stuck in survival mode. Um, obsessing about uh, basic 
survival type things when the evidence around you is that it's really not going to help to obsess about that stuff. So like people stocking up on toilet paper mm-hmm. that you mentioned or, or clearing the aisles and not, you know, and hoarding stuff like that is irrational. Mm-hmm. That's survival mode thinking stuff like that. I would say there, I'm sure there's a ton of others, but, and, and also just kind of collapsing. Like what happens in fear generally is your focus collapses and, and your peripheral awareness starts to decrease. So you, you're taking in less information and now all you can focus is on one thing. So people right now are just focused on the constant news feeds, you know, that are coming out and watching TV. And that's the worst thing you, you can do. You know, maybe scan Google News once a day or twice a day. That's okay. Or ask someone what's the latest. But, you know, snack, having that stuff turned on all the time is, is to me a, a huge uh, problem right? Because it's just going to constantly trigger that that sympathetic fear-based reaction. Yep. It's going to feed the wrong wolf. (laughs) Feed the fear wolf, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry to get you off on a tangent. So so the the breath control practice done daily, as well as before, during, and after our challenging situations is really powerful. And that sets the conditions for us to be able to um, work on the second skill, which is actually where we started. And what the whole book is about is that feeding the courage wolf, maintaining a positive mindset, Finding ways to, to think positively. So continue your gratitude and journaling practice. Be appreciative of actually what we have. You know, when I woke up this morning, looked out at the oceans, I live on the ocean. I'm very lucky here in California. I was like, wow, you know, the ocean's still there and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I bet you the whales and the dolphins are actually really enjoying this little pause. You know, what yeah. I mean? they're not, yeah. there's not as much garbage in the ocean and they're like, wow, this is yeah. great. And the birds aren't, aren't dealing with as much pollution. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is actually a really nice time for Mother Earth. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That was a positive thing for me to think, right? I'm like, okay, I can enjoy that. Uh, and so the warrior has this, this idea, we call it first thoughts and first words. So what thoughts do you allow into your head when you wake up in the morning? I, I had a kind of a, a odd dream last night. I won't recount it because that's kind of personal. But, um, you know, when I woke up, the dream was still kind of running through my head. I was like, ugh. No. Mm-hmm. And so I practiced our, our little practice of, I witnessed that I interdicted it with a statement and an intention to just stop it. And then I redirected it to some positive self-talk. And I have a whole litany of mantras and, and ways that I can do that. And it got me out of that negative loop and into the positive loop. And then I look at the ocean. And so really feeding positive self-talk, which triggers positive emotional um, states and asking better questions. Like how, what's the good in this? Where's the silver lining? How can I get stronger? How can I come out of this more focused, more aligned, right? And, um, and actually a little bit more evolved. Those are the questions to ask that help feed the courage wolf, which is the second skill because fear is debilitating. It, it degrades performance. It weakens our immune system. Yeah. It'll kill us eventually. So we want to have that second one is really important, but if it's built on top of an unbalanced body mind, it's really hard to do. So that's why breathing comes first. Mm-hmm. And then the third is imagery. Like what type of imagery do you allow yourself, your mind to be filled with? We mm, So warriors, key right now. Yeah, <laughs> so key. Practice imagery. They, they understand the power of imagery. Most of the stories we tell ourselves, both individually and culturally, are framed in ways that they create some image, like the image of America as a successful, you know, beacon of democracy and freedom. That's a story. And and it's a powerful one. And I think a lot of people are scared because they see how there is actually a, a weakness in how we've structured our economy and how quickly it can be brought down with just a few decisions. 
wow, you know, so ask yourself, what stories are you telling yourself? Come up with better imagery to support the story of who you are, why you're on this planet and what you're going to do about it, including in times of challenge like this. So practicing visualization, both about who you are, where you are, why you're here, what you're going to do about it. What does that look like in the future? We call that future me visualization, as well as visualizing your day. We call that dirt diving. Uh, back from my SEAL days, we would dirt dive every underwater mission so that when we got underwater, we knew exactly what we were doing because we had already memorized and visualized it. So th this is really, really powerful. And it's a difficult practice, frankly, because it requires your mind to have the concentration skills, right? So, you know, but even visualization or imagery can be used. The practice, I should say, of imagery is useful, very useful to develop concentration skills so that the visualization will have a more powerful effect. So just by practicing it, you're improving your skills. So that's the third. And then the last is, uh, I've, I've called it different things at different periods, but I always come back to the micro goal aspect of it. Selecting targets or goals that you can chunk down to something that you can work on right now because doubt is eliminated through action. And if we got, you know, if we, if we have this overwhelming number of things that we think we have to do or focus on or the, the task is too large, we tend not to do anything, right? We get analysis paralysis or the fear just holds us back from taking any action. But if we can look at that more objectively and say, wait a minute, you know, I can, I can chunk this out into three, three different areas. Let's say mm -hmm. I'm talking business. I, I can look at cash. I can look at revenue. I can look at, you know, st strategic alignment, right? And, and what, it's, what is the business going to look like when this is all done? If these certain things happen, good. Let me, let me just take cash. I can chunk this down and look at cash from the perspective of dealing with my credit card or, or debt instruments. I can look at, um, areas that um, maybe were are not as um, high margin, so cut out some of those and focus on the high margin, high cash flow areas. I can look at payroll cuts or mm -hmm. furloughs that starting to get a little painful, but maybe necessary. And these are you know decisions you just have, you have to chunk it down. And then once you chunk that down and you look at you know let's say there's five things you can do to improve your cash position right now, then you choose one and you chunk that down. And you say, what can I do today, right? Maybe it's just a phone call. Maybe it's to research the new SBA, you know, opportunities that are out there from the government. What can I do today? And then just do that. Yeah. And then you do that again tomorrow and again the next day. And then doubt is eliminated through action. You're taking these micro actions. Each one of them is stacking and linking and building until all of a sudden your future is much more clear and you removed uncertainty and doubt through those daily micro actions or micro goals. I love that. Those four together are really powerful. Yeah, and doable. And, and very they're doable, doable, right? Yeah, very, very doable. Very doable. And I love that you said chunking down because I always teach that if you're overwhelmed, you need to chunk down. And if you're stuck and procrastinating, you need to chunk up to your vision, you know? <laughs> right. That's great. I love that. that yeah. Perfect. Um, as we wrap up here, before we tell everybody where they can go get the book and connect with you more. Will you take us through um, number one, <laughs> a little bit of breathing? I'd love to. Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. So, so box breathing is a simple practice. The pattern is in a box, but it doesn't always have to be a square box. Sometimes you can have a little bit longer on the sides, one side or the other, or shorter in the holds. But essentially what we're doing is inhaling, holding, exhaling, holding in a box pattern. Now, the 
four by four or five by five, meaning five count inhale, five count hold, five count exhale, five count hold, where the box, the size of the box are equal, that leads to a very, very calming effect and uh, focusing of the mind. If you have a much longer exhale, let's say you have a five count inhale, five count hold, 10 count exhale, five count hold, you'll actually have a much more of a calming um, stress release, you know, like getting ready for bed type or I'm overstressed and I need to have a much longer exhale. So that's another way to kind of modulate these. The, the breath is always through the nostrils. Your lips are going to be closed. Your eyes ideally will be closed because you'll take, you'll take less stimulus in, but some people don't like that. So if your eyes are open, then just use your peripheral vision. We call this soft gaze and lower your eyelids like a meditative posture. And then you want to have your spine straight. So as I walk through all that, just, you know, Sit up straight, spine straight, shoulders relaxed, chin slightly tucked, mouth closed, eyes shut or soften, and we'll exhale together. Three, two, one, exhale. Inhale. One, two, three, four, five. Now hold your breath. When you hold, keep a lifting sensation. Don't clamp down. Exhale through the nose. Two, three, four. Five, belly tucks in and hold the exhale, hold. This is a challenge for some people, so if you feel challenged, then just take a sip of air. Inhale, one, two, three, four, five. Now hold your breath, two, three, four, five. Now exhale, two, four, five, and hold your breath. Good, inhale. Now we can turn this into a visualization practice by visualizing the size of the box. Hold, and now the top of the box. Exhale, visualize the other side of the box as you head back down. And hold, visualize the bottom of the box. This will turn this into both a breathing and a concentration practice. Inhale. Hold, visualize that box, or you can visualize the count, and exhale. Two, three, four, five, and hold. Two more rounds. Inhale. Another way we can use this practice is to practice the positivity. Hold your breath by reciting a mantra. Day by day, in every way, we're getting stronger and better. Exhale. And this is another concentration practice that also helps feed the courage of Hold your breath. Day by day, in every way, we're getting stronger and better. Inhale. Last round. Hold. We've got this easy day, Christine rocks. Exhale. <laughs> <laughs> and hold. We've got this easy day. Hoo-yah. Release yeah. the holds. Breathe <laughs> naturally, deeply through your nose. So a lot going on there, huh? But So it's, it's a simple practice. It's got a lot of nuance. But the point is just to do it every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it was hard for me in the beginning to hold the exhale. Mm -hmm. I tend to be a shallower breather. And so breath work, luckily my husband teaches breath work. So I've, I've got somebody that's reminding me uh, that that has been key to my nervous system because mm -hmm. part of what for me has fed the fear wolf is just a habitual pattern of being in fight or flight. Right. And so breathing really brings me back into that. I always forget it's the parasympathetic nervous system. That's the rest and digest. That's right. So okay, the box yes. breathing, you know, let's say you did this for 20 minutes. People think 20 minutes. I'm like, that's actually not that long. And it goes mm -mm. really quickly. 
then you're you're basically de-stressing and you're training your breathing patterns daily so that it's always triggering or always stimulating the parasympathetic response, the rest and digest, mm-hmm. which counteracts the constant stress that bombards us through the day. And so you end up with this kind of like balancing act going on where the stress comes in, it triggers sympathetic, and then you deep breathe and it triggers parasympathetic. Yeah. And you stay in a really kind of nice kind of balanced state. You seesaw a little bit, but not like these big patterns where you're stuck in stress for long periods of time. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is the health benefits of slowing down your breathing. I've gotten to the point where I, I typically breathe three to four breaths per minute, very, very slow and deep where I'm trying to get, you know, a full lung capacity in and a full exhale out. That requires you to train to use all of your muscles, especially the diaphragm, very effectively. So the box breathing practice, when you when you begin to get into it and you begin to notice the effective use or ineffective use or ineffective, I think is the right word, use of the musculature in your diaphragm, then you get more motivated to actually work on the, those muscles and, the, and to do things that are going to improve your breathing. Mm. And uh, I really believe that this will, you know, and it has a tremendous effect not just on your mental and your physical state and health, but longevity as well. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you know when you're breathing into your diaphragm? It's like right below your ribs, right? The diaphragm moves, right? Mm -hmm. So the diaphragm expands downward to pull the air in and it compresses like a balloon upward to exhale the air. A lot of people, because of their posture, this is actually a big problem. I'm glad you brought that up because we sit down so much in our society and we sit in our cars driving everywhere and we sit at our desk. And so diaphragm can actually get frozen because it, it's just like any other muscle. If you don't use it, you lose it. So you actually have to exercise the diaphragm. And there's a lot of ways to do that that we don't have time to get into. But if you don't feel the diaphragm pulling down and your, and your belly expanding outward on the inhale, then, then you might be stuck. And mm-hmm. if you don't feel the diaphragm compressing and pushing upward into your um, cavity beneath your rib cage on the exhale, then same thing. And so one of the ways we teach this is, is uh, start working on this called a three-part breath, where you just first breathe into your belly, where your belly's really relaxed, and you almost like push it out, and you pull your diaphragm down. And then you use your diaphragm to suck more air in, and then you use your upper chest, shoulders, uh, neck even, to bring air into the top of your lungs. Mm. So you, you chunk it into like three different aspects, where you're working the belly, the diaphragm, and the upper uh, muscle muscles involved in breathing. That makes sense. It makes yeah, sense. Oh, awesome. A bit of a rabbit hole there, but it's no, so it's, I love it. You, you know, you have so much wisdom. It's, it's so awesome. Um, tell okay. people where they can get the book and where they can connect with you more. Book, uh, staring down is kind of our landing page for the book. And we have some free video training there. We will mm. ask for your email. That's all. And of course it's available at all the bookstores and whatnot. My personal webpage is markdevine.com. So that's where my blog, my daily brief is found, a podcast, Unveil Mind podcast. We release an episode every week. I have great guests, kind of like Christine Hassler on my podcast. <laughs> and then um, if you're interested in the Unveil Mind coaching and training, you know, I think a lot of people are in transition and, and coaching is a really powerful career to get into right now because you can do it virtually. You can do it you know, take charge. Entrepreneurs take charge of their income. They don't wait to be told what they're going to earn. And they learn how to create value for other people. And so coaching is one way to do that. And so we have a coach certification program. All that information is unbeatablemind.com. Thanks for letting me share that.
Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark, for the work that you do, not just out in the world, but the work that you do inside yourself so that you really are an embodied leader and teacher. I'm excited about this book. I love it. I I love that you're authentic, aka vulnerable in the book. And I think it will give, you know, one thing I hear from so many women is how do I get my my man mm-hmm. to open up to all these things? And you are like a, a guy's guy and a man that a lot of men relate to and women too, obviously. But for any, especially my female listeners who are maybe looking for a book for your the gentleman in your life, Ooh, uh, I, highly, I highly suggest this one. As, good idea. Yeah. And, and you're right. Men, men struggle with this because we're mm-hmm. taught that showing emotions, even having emotions is, is weakness. And yep. so I think most men have a very narrow range of emotions. They just won't let, allow themselves. So they get stuck that way. Yep. And also, you know, they get cut off from a lot of rich experiences. Yep. So there is great benefit in doing this work for both the individual as well as those around the individual. It really is the next frontier for leadership development, in my opinion. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Well, Mark, th- thank you so much. Who, am I allowed to say who ya if I'm not a Navy SEAL? Okay. 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 Who ya? It's like who ya? a lot of energy into this. It does. It does. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Bye bye.